Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Solution, a Wellness Manifesto. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Lowenstein, and with me is Coach Steffi, and this is episode number 15, Got Nature. All right, let's get into it. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about something that's always been pretty interesting to me. Over the past several years in my clinical practice, whenever talking to people about mood or mood enhancement or mood improvement, I've always anecdotally shared that I find exposure to the outdoors or the natural world has always helped me. When I was living in Australia, my friend Stu Geyer would call and invite me up into the woods to go hunting with him. And oftentimes he would have to force me to go because I would be so wound up with work, et cetera, stressed out. And every time we came back down out of the mountains, I was always grateful for the opportunity and to really recharge my batteries and reset things. And I had a similar experience a couple of weeks ago. I went elk hunting in Colorado with my friend Mike. And I could spend an entire hour just talking about what I saw, what I learned, what I experienced, uh, what it's like to have an elk bugle 30 yards away from you, sounding like they're standing in your back pocket. But one of the things that happened was on my second to last night out there, I was sitting in a a blind, a ladder blind. There wasn't an animal in sight. We were almost done hunting. I hadn't gotten my elk yet. And I was starting to feel sorry for myself, um, licking my wounds and thinking, well, that's a bummer. Six days out here and I'm going to go home empty handed. And then I started looking around at the mountains that were surrounding me and the color of the trees. And it's indescribable what it looked like. And then pictures don't do it any justice, but I actually just had to change my mindset right then and there to not feeling sorry for myself, but I put my bow down. I stopped hunting. There were no animals around anyway. I opened the ladder to the blind and just sat on the steps of this ladder blind and just looked around and watched the sunset. And I remember feeling, and it's out of context, it probably sounds pretty corny, but a very real and profound sense of gratitude just for being alive and in that spot in that particular point in time. It made me think of how many times I had told people, when you're struggling with mental health, get into the natural world. So as I was driving home from the trip, I called Steph and I said, this is what we're doing our episode on. We're going to talk about, we're going to look into the science and see if that opinion is supported. So we've pulled out a few papers that we're going to talk about. All of them are pretty interesting. I will say when it comes to the rigors of science, this is a pretty difficult subject to study, but a couple of these teams of researchers have done a fantastic job isolating variables and trying to make a good study out of this. So the first one, the first one's a study on contact with nature and its effects on attention. They had one group walk 30 minutes in an urban environment, so just through the city streets, and they had another group walk 30 minutes in a forested environment. Then they used some objective measurements. They use usually questionnaires for these sorts of things uh, for attention and found that there was a slight increase in attention in the nature group. What was interesting about this particular study is that they also found a decrease in the attention of the urban group. So there was a, a larger than expected disparity in the attention between the two groups because the forested environment had actually had an improvement, whereas the urban environment was detrimental to their attention. This is actually going to come up again in another study where they were looking at uh, some kids. But first, 
there was uh, a second study that looked at attention. So, you know, talking about like attention, we mean like attention deficit, able ability to focus, things like that. So this was carried out on a prison population. And the reason I pulled this one is because that's a pretty interesting pool of subjects to look at. Um, people in prison are exposed to small concrete rooms with steel doors. I used to work in a prison. It's not a pleasant environment to live in. This study was fairly difficult for these investigators because they couldn't actually go in based on prison policies. They weren't able to sit down with the inmates and talk to them. So they just had to rely on the responses to questionnaires, which leaves a lot of open-ended stuff with regard to like what type of person will respond to the questionnaire. Um, is there a bias in that the people that didn't respond because they wouldn't, you know, like the outcome or the conclusion. But so this study is not super conclusive, but it does support the overall theme. And the inmates who did respond found that their increased exposure to green spaces. So just any anything that was natural, grass, trees, bushes, and also their exposure to nature images. So just pictures of parts of the wild and natural world did increase attention and feelings of well-being. So again, it's not a terribly rigorous study. It does leave a lot of variables open and unanswered questions. But what they did find, what we need to take away from this that will move into further research we talked about is that not only exposure to the natural world, but actually just looking at images of the natural world can have a benefit. Now getting back to kids, um, which I mentioned before, this one was one of my favorite ones to read. So we're going to go a little bit deeper. In this study, they, they built an outdoor classroom under a tree with some tent fly. So they put up posts and then just have these big canvas um, triangles to give them shade. And then they surrounded this area by with plants. So this is an outdoor elementary school classroom. And then the other class, the control group was conducted inside in just a normal classroom. The evaluators watched the class take place and they were looking to evaluate happiness, which they used based on a scale of uh, smiley face emojis, basically. They looked at attention and focus, and they did that based on how many times the teacher had to redirect uh, the behavior of the kids. And then they looked at behavior based on how many times the teacher had to correct negative behavior. So they had a third party just watching each of these classrooms. And as the kids went through their lessons and interacted with their teachers, they would just mark how many of those times those occurrences had to happen. And then they would ask the kids to rate their own happiness. The results were pretty remarkable. The outdoor classroom showed improvements in behavior and focus. There was a 25% improvement in focus in the outdoor group and a 9% improvement in behavior. Wow. There are some obvious limitations to all of these studies. There are reasonable questions that if you were reading the paper, you could, go, you could ask and say, well, what about this? What about that? But one of the things that was pretty interesting about the kids' study, the classroom study, when they looked at attention... And like I said, that they found that even just exposure to green spaces in the prison improved attention. This wasn't directly measured in the paper, but what they noticed is that the kids inside the classroom were more easily distracted by outside stimulus, whereas the kids in the outdoor classroom, when because they're inside a city, motorcycles or cars went by, birds would tweet, and it didn't pull the kids' attention away in the outdoor classroom the same way it did in the indoor classroom sort of like they expect there to be external stimulus when they're outside. So I think in the circumstances, these investigators did a reasonable job controlling what they could, and they operated in good faith seeking their conclusions. And we got some good information. But the big question that isn't answered by any of this is why? Why would exposure to the natural world improve mental well-being? And the answer to that question was 
told through a pretty another really good study, but it's going to harken back to stuff that we've previously talked about in the stress episode. And it's going to kind of segue nicely into our next episode, which we'll talk about at the end. So this was a study published in the Frontiers in Psychology in 2019. And it kind of shed some light on why exposure to nature might improve mood, focus, happiness, and general health. And it has to do with our old friend cortisol. So I'm going to pull quotes and read some stuff from this study because they they cite other studies and it gives us a good frame of reference. In the, in the introduction to this study, researchers referenced several papers where a link between exposure to nature and improvements in mental health have been documented. And I'm going to tangent on something that was written in this paper that was in the introduction. They said healthcare providers in North America and Europe have begun to write nature prescriptions. They're actually writing them out to patients for exposure to the natural world, having nature experiences, and they're calling them. Can you guess what they're calling them? Um, no. Not a single guess. If uh, it's a prescription, what do you write prescriptions for? Treatment. Right. But if you go fill a prescription at a pharmacy, what is it for? What are you getting? Medicine. In the form of? Pill? A pill. So that's what they're calling them. They're calling them nature pills. Oh. So we have data that supports getting into nature. Your healthcare provider may be informed on that issue. And so they prescribe a quote nature pill. And understand there is no actual pill. It just took my brain on a tangent. Is this what's necessary? You've got you gotta have your nature pill. So you're also gonna need an exercise pill, a fruit and vegetables pill, an adequate protein intake pill, a positive thinking pill. The good news for these is that you won't need a weekday pillbox to keep track of them because there aren't any actual pills, but it does make for an interesting concept. Imagine if everyone took all of those metaphorical pills every day. They'd need time. Time to take all those pills. They'd have to schedule time. Yeah, the exercise pill in particular. But it does speak a little bit to our current paradigm that we have to call a walk in nature a pill in order for people to associate it with their health and actually take it. And the ultimate irony is that pills... Do not, I mean, no medication that I have that found, and I'm stealing this from James Chestnut too, there is no medication that actually results in improved health, but walks in nature do result in improved health. Anyway, get your nature pills right here, everybody. No, it reminds me, it takes me back to, was that episode one or episode two, we were talking about stress and you were, uh, you tell that story about how when your, your grandma was in the hospital sick. And they've got her laying in that like hospital bed and limited time and watching television shows and eating garbage. She needed nature pills. She needed all kinds of different pills that we've been talking about. Yeah. But nature pills would have been one of them. All right. So going back to the study uh, that we were where the nature pills happened, um, these researchers actually did something pretty cool with this study. And I love it when scientists attempt to also be practical so that we can actually apply this to our real life. So they allowed the participants in this study to choose their nature experience. They were allowed to choose the time of day, the duration of the experience, and the place for their nature exposure. And then they evaluated them for markers of stress. Now, stress, as we've previously discussed, is central to the rapid increase in sickness we've seen. Uh, There's some definitions of stress that vary by field from just how you perceive stress, which is really important, and that'll be a topic of a future episode. Uh, what is your behavioral response to stress? How do you react to it? And then the neurophysiology of stress. This paper focuses on the neurophysiology, the neuroendocrine response to stress, which we talked about in our stress episode, the elevation of certain hormones, um, which is to say your brain perceives a stressor and then directs changes in hormone levels or enzyme levels. 
cortisol, which we've previously discussed, is a primary stress hormone. Prolonged elevation of cortisol interferes with learning and memory. It lowers your immune system function. It negatively impacts your bone health. It's linked to increased blood pressure, increased cholesterol, increased heart disease, weight gain. And this should all sound familiar to you. So these researchers use two measures of stress. They use cortisol, and then they've used uh, salivary amylase. Salivary amylase is a digestive enzyme produced by the digestive system that's responsive to physical and psychological stress. So under either category of stress, we're seeing increase in salivary amylase. It's a marker for a person being in fight or flight. So this enzyme is, is much more sensitive to your environmental input. So it's a good gauge as to how you're reacting to stress or how much stress a person is under, or at least how well that person might be tolerating that stress. What does that enzyme do? Well, salivary amylase is actually used to break down sugar um, uh -huh. when you eat, when you digest. So you have it for fuel. Right. Fighting crocodiles. Exactly, because you're asking for more fuel. All right, so drum roll, please, on the results. We're actually going to do the drum roll like Christmas vacation. I can't. I'm terrible. I'm Well, I guess I could do it like Christmas vacation because I'm terrible at drum rolling. Because it's silly. <laughs> so i like, yes. That's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> so exposure to a self-directed nature experience lasting at least 10 minutes. So this was their requirement. They had to go at least 10 minutes. Resulted in a 21.3% drop in cortisol and a 28.1% drop in amylase. These two markers for stress. The results were greatest between 20 and 30 minutes. The amylase change was seen in those that were the least active during their nature experience. So either they were just sitting or they did sitting and some walking. So this kind of, to me, I'm using conjecture here, but this suggests that attempting to rest in nature maybe leads to this meditative state, which would account for the fact that you'd see that bigger decrease in people who are less active. Also, if you're more active, it makes sense that you would have a digestive enzyme that breaks down glycogen into glucose because activity means need for fuel. What is important about this study is that a 20 to 30 minute exposure significantly reduced the levels of stress that they measured. This explains previously seen observational results. So when we observed better behavior in kids, when we observed better attention in inmates, we don't, all we have there is a correlation, we don't have a cause. When we understand physiologically that exposure to nature is reducing your stress level, now we can establish some form of cause. We know that stress is reduced by nature. We know that under less stress, we're going to have improved mood, um, attention, etc. So the last paper we're going to discuss does not necessarily roll well with the theme so far. I don't have a good segue into it, but its conclusions were so interesting that it has to be worth a conversation. The introduction to this paper lays out the following. So this is going to sound like a tangent, but trust me, it's a good one. A 20-country survey conducted in 2013 with just a little bit over 16,000 respondents. So in 20 countries, they got 16,000 people to respond to this survey. And it revealed that half of them felt pressured to make money and be successful and that one-third defined their success by their possessions. So the stuff that they own determines success. They go on to say that the prevalence of social media and its tendency to trigger social comparison, no surprise there that it does that, will drive people to seek the status of a successful person through what they called conspicuous consumption. So just very obviously buying and owning stuff for the sake of owning that stuff and having other people see you own it. This is paraphrased from the study, but 
it's going to come up in my summary. Materialistic individuals typically spend less time in activities that enhance well-being, such as developing meaningful relationships, acquiring new experiences, or volunteering and helping others. So what these researchers did was they set out to discover whether or not exposure to nature would actually reduce this materialistic tendency to define success by the stuff that you own. So we're just going to hit the high notes of this study. One of their conclusions was that population size and density predicts materialism. So states in the United States with more access to nature, so more ground committed to national parks, parks in general, those states, those areas with more access to the natural world have lower scores on a materialism index, which again is just these questionnaires. So it's just an outcome measure that can help to measure and indicate materialism. So this could be, what these researchers understood is that this could simply be due to the fact that people who are less materialistic naturally gravitate towards places that have higher concentration of the natural world. So it could just be that less materialistic people move to Idaho versus New York City. So they've established a correlation, not a cause. So they went a step further. This is actually a three-part study. In their step two, they move into the lab. They have participants stare at a building, a man-made structure, and then they had the other half stare at a tree for 30 minutes. Materialistic tendencies were reduced in the tree group. Now, again, I said this was a three-part study. These scientists are good because they didn't know if reduced materialism was caused only by tree observation or by all matter of nature or if different natural scenes would affect this to a different degree. So what they did in part three is in the lab setting again, they contrasted videos. So going back to the prison study where they were just looking at pictures and it had an effect, we see this again. They had videos of urban footage in one group, videos of forested settings for the second group. And in the third group, they used videos of what they called grand natural scenes. So a grand natural scene being um, a drone flying past a mountain peak, a waterfalls, anything you could think of that would be bigger than life itself. For the last one, interestingly, to try to help them establish some cause, they also looked at four different value orientations. So they looked at egoistic values, which is this values that focus on the self, altruistic, which are values that focus on the well-being of others, biospheric, which is values respecting nature or the earth, and hedonic, which is just a high value on pleasure and being self-indulgent. So they were looking at whether or not this exposure, even to just artificial stimulus of the natural world, affected those value systems and therefore your behavior. So quick summary of the final findings of this study is that the nature scenes reduced an interest in wealth and status and increased altruistic values compared to egoistic values. And it didn't matter which of the nature scenes. So the grand scenes versus the forested scenes, there wasn't a significant difference there. But what they did find is that observing those nature scenes actually inhibited the egoistic values or egoistic pursuits and sort of replaced it with the altruistic. So the short version of that is that exposure to nature, even artificial nature, can have benefits, improved mood, improved focus, improved sense of well-being, increased altruism, decreased egoism, uh, which may lead to a person being more pro-social, more likely to be interested in pursuing meaningful relationships, more likely to volunteer to help others. So the point of this final study is that nature exposure did, does not have to be grand scenes. 
you know, we, we might think if I'm going to go expose myself to nature, I've got to drive 12 hours and see something bigger than life itself. I've got to look out on the vastness of the ocean. I've got to stand under a mountain and feel tiny. But in truth, the nature exposure can be a tree in your yard. And what we've seen in the research is it doesn't even have to be real. You can just watch planet Earth on your big screen TV. Remember we did that once? And camped in the living room. That was great. Just that by itself, just watching planet Earth, which is an awesome nature documentary, um, or watching the Meat Eater show on Netflix, which is a different kind of nature documentary. (laughs) That's going to give you those same benefits, improvement in mood, etc. So the homework for this week is going to be pretty obvious, uh, probably. It is to get some exposure to the natural world and then see if the, your experience, the benefits that we've been talking about. See see if you feel uh, improvement in your mood, et cetera. Because I'll be honest with you, like what drove me to want to do this episode of the podcast is it works for me every time. You know, people, I'm going to do a personal anecdote here, but Steph, what is our favorite outdoor activity in the wintertime? Ice fishing. Ice oh, fishing. I love ice fishing. And tons of people that live where we live because it gets very cold. um, And they're like, oh, I just hate the winter. I'm like, well, first of all, you don't have to live here. (laughs) It's not required. But (laughs) I always recommend ice fishing because it's at least something to do. It is outside and you get to catch fish. And again, anecdotally, fish through the ice tastes better than uh, summertime fish anyway. So go ahead and expose yourself to the natural world. Get out there. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. Watch planet earth and then if you feel so inclined we'll try to get this audience a little bit more interactive go to our facebook page and share your experience with the natural world just a photo of you out in nature or on your couch watching uh planet earth next week actually it won't be next week it'll be two weeks because we go every other now we have another guest we are going to have dr kim fletcher she graduated from palmer with me she's a chiropractor And her focus is on kids and families. And what we're going to talk about, we're going to dig into stress, uh, what it is, what it isn't, um, Dr. Kim's take on the ways we can help to manage it. And we have not yet, I mean, everyone knows I'm a chiropractor. We have not yet talked about chiropractor's effect on overall health and well-being. It definitely is on the map to do it. But Dr. Kim, that's going to be something that she addresses. So we're going to get started on that conversation next week. So I hope you'll join us, and uh, we look forward to having Dr. Kim with us. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Solution, A Wellness Manifesto. I appreciate you being here. I hope that the information we covered in this week's episode was beneficial to you and that you can apply it into your life to help yourself move away from sickness and towards health. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Functional Performance Chiropractic and Wellness, for their ongoing support, and I'd like to appeal to you. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information we're talking about on this show, and I know you do, please refer them back to episode number one so we can all get started on the same page. I look forward to working with you and them. Until next week, take good care of yourself. Mm -hmm.